From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Amy Rusnuski is a professor of organizational behavior at the Yale School of Management. She earned her bachelor's degree right here at the University of Pennsylvania, where she graduated magna cum laude with an honors degree in psychology. And, like me, she got her Ph.D., in organizational psychology from the University of Michigan. Her research on how people make meaning of their work has been published in a wide range of top academic journals and highlighted in several best-selling books and popular press outlets like Forbes, Time, Business Week, Harvard Business Review, U.S. News and World Report, and The Economist, as well as in best-selling books like Drive by Daniel Pink, the Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor, Authentic Happiness by Martin Seligman, and The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama and Howard Cutler. So now, get set to listen and learn from Amy Rosniewski about the different orientations we have toward our work and how to enrich our lives by crafting our jobs, your job, whatever it is, to make it more meaningful to make it more of a calling in which others are served by what we do. Amy, <laughs> welcome. Welcome to Work and Life. Hello, Stu. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, it's great to have you here. You've been doing some really fascinating work about, uh, well, the meaning of our, our, our work to who we are and, and our identities at work. Can you just give us a brief introduction to what the, the big ideas are and why they're important? Sure. So I, uh, as you said, I've spent a long time being fascinated by questions about how is it that people make meaning of their work? And in particular, how does it come to be that different people can make such different meanings of the same work? And hmm. so one of the ways in which I've looked at this is uh, looking both across occupations, but also within occupations, and how people can see that work as a job, where it's primarily a means to a financial end, where mm -hmm. they're working to make a paycheck to support their life outside of the job, uh, versus seeing that same work uh, more as a career, where the focus is about moving up the occupational ladder, whether mm -hmm. that's in that organization or moving between organizations, mm -hmm. with the power and prestige and status and so on that comes with that versus people who could see the same work as more akin to a calling mm -hmm. where rather than working for uh, financial outcomes or for career advancement, they see the work more as a fulfilling end in and of itself and typically see that work as making the world a better place in some way, even if you or I might be hard-pressed to see how that work might make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. um, so I've become intrigued and have for a long time, actually starting at Penn, the years I was there, um, started conducting research into these questions um, to understand how people come to see their work in such different ways, even when they're doing exactly the same jobs, why it matters for them individually, why it matters for the organizations they're a part of. And then that's branched into work that I 
continued at Michigan with colleagues there to think about what is it that people can do themselves to change or reshape the design of the jobs they're in so that they can derive more of the kind of meaning they seek from the work and, as you put it um, in the intro, come to enact a different kind of identity for themselves Mm. in the work that they're doing. So people can change their work identity? So I I would conjecture yes, that, you know, in work that we've done looking at people who, you know, are working in organizations, there, it is possible, I think, for people to change aspects of the tasks of uh, what it is they're doing while they're on the job, reshape their relationships and interactions they're having with people that they're interacting with um, on the job in ways that help them to construct themselves or experience who they are in that organization differently than, say, the default category of what their job title might be. And I'll hmm. give an example. In research that I did with Jane Dutton and Galai DeBeba at the University of Michigan uh, some years ago, we studied people who worked on the hospital cleaning staff there. Mm -hmm. And some of the people we uh, studied who were part of that staff, when we asked them, what is it that you do here in the hospital, would give us their technical job title. Mm -hmm. And other people we asked with the exact same job um, would answer with things like, I'm an ambassador for the hospital. Or in the most extreme case, I'm a healer. Hmm. And when we ask them to talk more about how they... the people who clean the place. The people who clean the rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how it was that they uh, were an ambassador or a healer in the hospital. Yeah. Described what it was that they emphasized in how they did their work, the kinds of things that they were doing in their jobs. In some cases were, again, not part of the job description, but they had um, added them in um, so that they saw themselves when they came in every day as as a frontline ambassador for the entire organization or um, as someone whose job it was it was to create sort of clean or sterile spaces for people to heal in and that this this led into all kinds of things that they would do for the patients, for the patient's families, um, all in service of facilitating the healing of the patients that they came into contact with. And what was extraordinary about this is these individuals in the context that we were studying them in were actually not supposed to be interacting with patients and their visitors. They were supposed to answer questions they were asked, but otherwise they were meant to kind of float in and float out Mm -hmm. and clean um, the spaces. And yet they would be invisible kind of. Right. They had really redesigned the job in ways that Hmm. allowed them to narrate the meaning of what they were doing, but also who they were in the organization in ways that felt um, to us sort of profoundly different. And I think that that helped them experience the work in profoundly different ways. Do you think that is motivated by who they are coming into the role or is it something about their experiences outside of their work? perhaps in their family or maybe it's in their community, perhaps their church community or something like that, that influences whether uh, one is, you know, uh, motivated to try to reshape, rethink, reimagine, you know, what it is that that he does or what she does in in his or her work to to make it more meaningful in in the ways that you described in this wonderful example? Um, I think it's a great question. And I think we don't really know Um, everything there is to know about the answer to it. I think that um, in our observation in this particular context, um, there were a number of people who worked in the organization who had strong religious beliefs, and Mm -hmm. these were being expressed in the way that they were 
um, enacting the jobs they were in. Um, but I would argue you know, about half of the people in this particular study were engaging in what we ended up calling job crafting, where they were changing elements of the job in ways that changed the meaning and identity they had in the work. But half of them were not. They were doing the job very much as it was uh, dictated by the organization. They were faithfully following the job description and taking that very seriously, but were not deviating from it and were not thinking about uh, the meaning of their work or their identity in the work is anything other than the way that the organization had narrated this. And there was really nothing that we could find that differentiated these two groups from the point of view of their background, uh-huh. of their tenure in the organization, really? uh, or the kind of unit they worked on, the shift they worked on, and things like this. And So how do you explain the differences? Well, it's something that I've been fascinated by sort of ever since. Is it something that um, is based in sort of personality? Is Mm -hmm. it something that's based in the domains in life in which people are investing in in shaping so that they can derive um, lots of meaning from it? We don't really know. um, Let me just stay on that for a moment because that's really central to what we're about on this show. When you say... Um, you know, deriving meaning, f- uh, this is what I heard, you know, f- for, for example, to, to augment who you are in, in, in your sense of self-esteem in your work so that when you are home with your family, let us say, you, you can represent yourself as someone of significance and so your kids can see you as somebody doing something important. Yes, I would imagine, though that's not a domain that we have have studied, sort of how does that lead into what happens at home, it, it absolutely stands to reason that, again, experiencing yourself and experiencing the work that you're doing in a different way ought to um, have effects in how you see yourselves in the other, yourself in the other domains of your life as well, for sure. What other ways do you think that could that could happen? Well, I think, um, you know, you could imagine it also sort of working the other way, right, where someone who um, is very involved in their community, um, Mm -hmm. in their uh, religious uh, community, in their family, as someone who is deeply engaged and uh, making things happen and, and so on, could take that identity, that way of engaging the world into the workplace um, in a way that would enable them to take action to craft the job that they're in so that they can have, uh, again, the kind of experience of meaning that they most seek in um, in the work. I've done uh, follow-up work, actually, with colleagues at, at Wharton and at Stanford to look at whether, regardless of who the person is, could we run a field study, a field experiment, where we randomly select um, individuals working in an organization to go through an intervention where mm-hmm. we have them think about how would they craft their jobs uh-huh. if, uh, if they could, and then encourage them to do that, to then follow them and compare them with people who are run through different conditions of the experiment to see does it does it have an impact on their effectiveness? Does it have an impact on um, their happiness and their sort of emotional experience of their work as judged by their coworkers and by mm-hmm. uh, managers who are blind to the condition that they're in in the study and find support for this? And so it suggests that it may not just be the province of dispositional factors or something about you know the person or their personality or yeah. what it is that's happening sort of outside of work that uh, could enable people to benefit from the practice practice of thinking about, you know, within reason, within what it is that you could feasibly do in within the bounds of the job, how can you change some of those task and relational boundaries in ways that would enrich the kind of meaning that you're finding in the work? 
Uh, Amy, the calling, uh, so the job career calling, uh, I assume that what you are finding is that uh, to, to construe your work as a calling, to have that sense of meaning and purpose is generally associated with all kinds of good outcomes. Is that true? Um, it is true. And um, what's remarkable about that to me is that it wasn't necessarily clear to us when we started doing research in this domain, um, which started with colleagues of mine in the psych department there at Penn, um, that that would be the case. So we figured that these people should be, who see their work more as a calling than as a career or a job, um, should be more satisfied with their work. But we, we didn't know, for example, that it would also be related to all kinds of things that have been found sort of since this time, that they tend to be better performers. They are more satisfied with their lives. They're more behaviorally engaged with their work. Um, they're, uh, they are less absent from work and so mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the surprise for me out of that work was, you know, not just that there are sort of very positive things that go along with seeing one's work as a calling, um, but that the people who are identify more with seeing the work as a job or as a career uh-huh. um, are significantly different from this calling group and are not significantly different from each other. I had thought that oh. career might sort of land in the middle, right? Because mm-hmm. they're, those folks are making... But the big difference ideas. is really just between the yeah. calling and the other two? Yes, between the calling and the other two. Mm. And so it suggests perhaps that uh, you know, in a job, you're again the work is instrumental. You're working for an instrumental end of of the income as the primary focus. Right. People who see their work as a job, um, and perhaps you know the way I've come to think of it is for people who view their work as a career. While the outcome is different, it is also an instrumental outcome. It's about right. advancement. It's about promotions. It's about sort a means of to an end rather than an end itself. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's the difference. That's instructive, um, mm-hmm. which has, has to pardon the, the phrase, but has motivated a lot of my research on motivation that's come since. So how can people find a greater sense of uh, their work being a calling and to create that, that kind of meaning, especially if they're in a, a work environment where it doesn't seem like there's a lot of uh, you know, interest or patience for such matters? Yes. I, well, I, I don't want to be Pollyanna-ish about this, right? And so, you know, the first thing I would say is um, I, I certainly don't want to be espousing a view that anyone can have a calling in any kind of work that they're doing if mm-hmm. they just sort of try hard enough, because I, I don't believe that, and I think it's... There are limits. Uh, there are limits, and I think it's naive uh, you know, to feel that way. That said, in any occupation we've studied, even occupations that I think objectively people might be less uh, inclined to think that you'd find people who view that work as a calling, we find people who view that work as a calling. And they look just like people who do high-status work that requires hmm. you know, lots of education and so on, who view that work as a calling in terms of how much it has an effect on their satisfaction with their life and their work and their engagement so, in the work that they do. So where would one begin? If, like, hey, so there's a lot of people listening here, some of whom were thinking, hmm, I'd like to have a greater sense of meaning and purpose and a, like feeling like well, my job is a calling. So when I get up in the morning, I'm thinking that I'm doing something that's significant, that's affecting other people in a positive way. It's not just about earning the money that I need to live or advancing to gain more status or whatever. How do I do that? 
so. I, I think one of the things that could be powerful to do is to focus on what is it in the work um, that you're doing in terms of either the practice of it um, or the ultimate impact that it has that feels particularly engaging and meaningful to the individual. And that varies quite a bit across people in terms of what mm-hmm. it is that they connect with. And then I would combine that with the insights we've had from our work on job crafting to think about how can you uh, adjust sort of the boundaries of the job in ways that allow you to engage more of that in the actual enactment of the job and how you're actually doing the work that you're so doing. So when you say so, the, the boundaries, what do you mean there? Um, so boundaries around uh, what the tasks are. So, you know, how much of your time are you spending? You know, so for example, let's say, this is all, I'm being very abstract sort of to this point, but let's say that, uh, you know, you, you work in a job in a in an organization where part of your time is spent with clients and part of mm-hmm. your time is spent sort of analyzing things uh, back in the office. And let's say, you know, where you really derive a sense of meaning and a, a sense of engagement is around your client work because you can see mm-hmm. the impact that you're having on improving people's lives mm-hmm. in that work. Is there a way to adjust either the proportion of the time that you're spending with clients? Is there a way to make adjustments to the role so that's more of the emphasis and the value that you're bringing to the organization? Mm -hmm. If it's not, can you adjust your week so that you are starting sort of each day with time with your clients as that to act as fuel to get you through Mm -hmm. the back office work that's, you know, perhaps a necessary evil to, uh, to being effective in the organization and, and, discharging your responsibilities, um, this kind of thing. So changing the task boundaries of the work, but also changing the relational boundaries of the work. What does um, that mean? So that that means you know, changing the relational landscape of the job. So you, know, you could imagine many of us in, in any number of different kinds of jobs, there are interactions and relationships that you can seek out that are affirming of the meaning of what it is that you're doing or the importance of that or the kind of impact it's having on other people. And there are interactions that do quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things we find is that with people who are crafting their jobs, um, they're doing a lot to uh, work around um, and avoid, if you will, interactions and relationships that undermine the sense of meaning and identity they want to uh, seek in the work. And they're seeking out more contact with and more enriched um, contact with individuals or categories of individuals who affirm um, the way in which they want to be thinking about and experiencing the work that they do. And I'll give an example from the hospital cleaning study. Yeah. Um, the the hospital cleaning staff members who talked about this work in terms that were more akin to seeing it as uh, a calling rather than a means to Mm -hmm. an end of some other type um, had incredibly rich relationships that they built with patients, with visitors, with the nursing staff on their floor, with the clerks and so on um, in ways, again, that were not, uh, when it came to patients and visitors, not only were not encouraged, they were were really discouraged. um, Don't talk to patients. Don't talk to patients. This is, you know, float into the room, do your cleaning work, mm-hmm. float out of the room. Um, and, you know, we, we in this study, uh, you know, studied hospital cleaning staff members who ended up writing to patients um, and, you mm. know, forming friendships with them wow. that spanned the time after they left the hospital because they created such a meaningful bond with so, them. And, so, but and they were them, transgressing here, right? Because weren't they, they told were not to do that? Yes. They, uh, and part of what I'm very interested in is, uh, you know, job crafting seems to be a practice that people undertake even when they're forbidden from doing it, which to me sort of speaks to what it is about 
uh, shaping sort of the boundaries of the work that we do that is a, a fundamentally human activity um, that we need in some sense to engage the work that we're doing in a way that reflects how it is that we want to experience meaning in that domain and that we do it even at risk of getting in trouble. The, the need or the motivation is that strong for most people? I think so, yes. To, to find some kind of connection. Where does gratitude fit into this picture? That's an interesting question. Um, Thinking about it a lot at the end of the year, and yeah, yeah, wondering, I think, yeah. I, so I what your uh, research says about how to find meaning through grasping, you know, the gratitude that is there that you feel toward yes. whatever it is that you do and the people you do it with or for. Yes, I, I think a way a way that I would think about how that connects with uh, with this research is to say that for people who view the work that they do, again, regardless of what that work is, more in terms akin to a calling, uh, I think because they see the work that they're doing having an impact on the world sort of beyond them, that there is a sense of gratitude for the opportunity to have an impact on something Mm -hmm. bigger than the self, as opposed to work as a job or work as a career, where in some sense, the focus of that is largely the self, um, as opposed Mm. to what it is that one is potentially offering the world um, and having the opportunity to offer to the world, which is a certainly cause for gratefulness. To have the opportunity to do work that takes you beyond yourself? Yes. Yeah. There's a wonderful paper um, published by... um, uh, Bateman and Barry uh, in a in an academic journal that has a wonderful title. It's called something like Masters of the Long Haul, and they study in this paper people who work for a lifetime on problems that they know will never be solved in their lifetime. Hmm. And the the motivating question of the paper is what is it that allows people to sustain um, motivation for this kind of work? And many of them are scientists working on puzzles that are are epic in their mm-hmm. dimension. Um, And the sense that you get from the data that they collect from people who are working in this kind of way um, is that the gratitude is uh, that they feel for being able to work on problems that are big and that they feel truly matter, and that though they may never know um, the, the magnitude of the impact that they had on trying to solve that puzzle, that they know they will have done some good um, in Mm -hmm. that domain is enormously motivating for them and very powerful from the point of view of um, sustaining their drive to be engaged with that work over the long term. As I'll bet it is for you, Amy. Well, uh, yes, I do identify. I mean, I feel like, you know, I've been studying this topic. uh, You know, this, this research really started back in 93. So, you know, we're, we're coming up on about 25 years of, uh, or more of doing research in this domain. And I, you know, at this point in my career, there are more questions I want to study than I have years left. And uh, again, under this umbrella of understanding the dynamics of meaning um, in work, I think it's an essentially important topic because work is so much uh, a part of uh, people's lives. It has such an impact, as you've pointed out in your own work so beautifully, has such an impact on the rest of life um, in ways that I think are more complicated and are Mm -hmm. deeper than we have understood sort of to this point. So I'm 
trying to do everything I can to shine uh, more of a light on this and to excite um, interest in this because I think these are questions that are well worth understanding. So where would people go to find out more about the work that you have done and are doing? Um, well, I have uh, I, I do have a website um, at Yale. Uh, so if you um, if you Google um, Amy uh, at the School of Management at Yale, I'm the only Amy here, so you don't have to uh, work through the the pain of spelling my last name. Um, w r z e s n i e w s k i Thank you very much. Um, and all of my papers are there. Uh, my current research, my teaching, sort of all of that uh, is is on that website for people who are interested in reading more. What's, uh, what's the most important piece of advice you could give to listeners about crafting their work to create greater meaning and a sense of um, calling in it? Yeah, I, so I think the, the most central point I can make um, would be that I think we have much more agency than we often believe about controlling or having an impact on our experience of the meaning of the work that we do. I feel like I teach students and talk with people um, all the time who are looking at uh, the jobs that they are taking or moving into and so on um, more as uh, where they are the passive sort of recipients, if you will, or the passive mm-hmm. uh, reviewers of, you know, how, how great is this job? How much do I love this job? As opposed to realizing that, you know, you're not in a position to be like writing a Yelp review of, you know, did I love this job? And if I don't, then I'll eventually leave it. As opposed to thinking about you actually are in the driver's seat, even again, when you are not constructed that way by mm-hmm. the organization or mm-hmm. when you're forbidden from it by the organization to really take action to engage the work in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And perhaps one of the most powerful things around that point that we've heard is um, my colleagues and I have created a tool to help people craft their jobs. And one of the people who went through uh, the tool and used it as a way of redesigning the job they were in said something along the lines of, if I had done this in my previous job, I probably wouldn't have left it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it creates a sense of hope. And again, you know, I don't want to be... Um, too extreme in this. Some jobs, the best thing that one can do is leave them because mm-hmm. there really isn't great potential for um, for meaning or for shaping sort of aspects of the experience. But I think there's often more there than we realize. Own it. You can change it more often than you think. That is certainly true, and it's a great note for us to, to close on. There's uh, so much more I want to ask you about, but I, I really appreciate the introduction you've given us to this incredibly important work that you've been doing. Uh, Amy, thank you so much for being my guest tonight. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Yale's Professor Amy Rosniewski. So now, here is a challenge for you, based on what we were just talking about. Well, an invitation. How about if you think about some piece of what you do in your work or school, the activities that you undertake, the interactions that you have, and recraft it, shape it in some small way to make it just a bit more meaningful to you, more of an opportunity to see how what you're doing helps other people in some way to thereby make it more of a calling. 
Can you try that? And if you do, what do you discover from making that adjustment in terms of how you feel about your work and about yourself and how that might spill over into other aspects of your life, your family, with your friends, your sense of your place in, in, the, in society? What do others think about this adjustment that you make? Try that. And if you do, I would love to hear from you. You can write to me, friedman at wharton.upenn.edu, or on Twitter, at Stu Friedman. And if you have any ideas for guests that you'd like to hear on the show, I would love to hear from you about those suggestions. So, again, write to friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.